so we're talking about body life. I began last week, want to continue it this week. And the theme has to do with needing, we put it on the overhead, is uh, really, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and it's a very profound text. Probably most of you have heard it before. But there is something that's a revelation from God. And we first started a new life. I think we, this is why we started a new life, how we did based on cell groups and communities and body life, and why we didn't go the traditional American church route of just having large meetings. Because we really did have, I believe, a revelation of this body life. I don't think we fully understood it, but we saw a little bit. And I think over the last 12 and a half years, we've gotten a better understanding of it. You know, you know something from God, but then over the years, it expands and deepens. And uh, I, I think that we are in a place to receive more of what this really means. So let's pray and ask God to, to speak to us and open up our hearts. Lord, I know that in the pages of this book, Lord, this is not just the book. These are not words on a page, Lord, but this is you, the living God, speaking to us. And Lord, you're here today as the living God, seeking to release your people, seeking to set us free, God, so we can set other people free to be the body of Christ. So God, I pray, Lord, for you to open up heaven, Lord, that we would have an experience of the Holy Spirit this morning, and that you might mold us and shape us into this supernatural community of people who've been immersed in the Holy Spirit, a counterculture, an alternative city, a new people on a hill, shining for the glory of Jesus. So we commit to you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's begin reading in verse 18. Again, I encourage you to read the rest of the text on your own, chapter 12, 13, and 14. Verse 18, But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, it's a famous story called Acres of Diamonds. How many of you know it? Good. It's about a guy named Al Hafel. It's a fable. Who owned a large farm uh, with orchards and fresh fields and gardens. And he was very wealthy and very happy until one day a Buddhist priest came to him and told him about these things called diamonds. That if you had just a few of these diamonds, you could buy a country. And if you had a lot of diamonds, you could make your children kings and queens over entire countries. And so he went to bed that night, and he was no longer content. He was miserable because he didn't have enough money. And he wanted to find out about these diamonds. So he woke up the next day and found that Buddhist priest and said, where do I get these diamonds? The priest said, listen, here's what you do. You go travel until you find some high mountains, and then with some rolling hills and white sands and in those white sands if you find that direct combination with a river flowing a certain way you'll find acres of diamonds and so the guy that next day sold all his possessions sold his field sold everything and went traveling to find these acres of diamonds and basically after a few years 
was penniless, miserable, and had found nothing. Came back home, no longer owned his plantation or his farm, and uh, was so miserable and discontented, sent his family out to live with uh, neighbors and relatives, and he went and threw himself into the ocean and died, committed suicide. Soon after that, the fellow who had bought his farm uh, was giving his camel something to drink at a brook in the garden. And while he was there, he stumbled into a black carbon piece of rock that was, had some shiny stuff to it, and which he brought to another fellow who said, that is a diamond, my friend. And ended up that uh, he began to excavate and dig in the brook and found enormous wealth of diamonds, which ended up being the crown jewels of Egypt and Russia and England and the greatest diamond field the world had ever known. Well, it's a nice story anyway. But it makes the point that Paul's making here in 1 Corinthians 12. And he says to them in verse 1 about spiritual gifts. Brothers, you're ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant, verse 1, but you are ignorant. And you're chasing all over the place for spiritual wealth and diamonds and acres of diamonds. But you know what? You're miserable, you're discontent, and the acres of wealth, the diamonds, you have them. They're in you. And you're missing it. And you're throwing your life away. And I'm going over and I'm going to really make two points today. And uh, let me just make the first one, and I'll build on it. He says, first of all, he says, you're amazing. You've got to hear this. You're indispensable, and you're amazing. In fact, I must have told three or four people on the way out for a service, you're amazing. They're like, oh, you know, I'm just here. You know. No, you're amazing. And what Paul does is he speaks to two groups of people in Corinth, and he's speaking, I believe, two groups of us in our midst as well. And because um, the Corinthians didn't realize what they had. And they were living in poverty and division and superiority and inferiority for some. But Paul had a clear vision of who they were. He, he, he had a revelation, and it drove his life. And if you're in Christ today, this is yours. This is, this is to be a part of your mind as well and to, and to drive your life. And that is that when a person becomes a Christian, when you come to Christ, something, so many things happen at that moment that we're not aware of. We spend our whole life understanding it. We, in fact, you'll spend eternity grasping the gospel and the glory of what happens at that moment when you came to Christ. But when you come to Christ, um, you receive, the Bible says, spiritual gifts. You receive the Holy Spirit and you receive immeasurable, enormous spiritual wealth. Something is deposited into you by a sheer gift. And they're called spiritual gifts. And last week I mentioned them in verses 4 to 7. In verse 7 he says, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. In fact, that kind of is a controlling verse for the whole three chapters. To everyone who comes to Christ, you come to faith in Christ, something supernatural happens. To each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit. Manifestation means something visible, something tangible, something you can, others can see. It's given to you to bless other people. And uh, Paul says, if God forms a new people, a new culture, a new city of Jews and Gentiles and and rich and poor and slaves and free. And he, and he builds this. I, I can't expound on it. Verse 13, he says, We were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we've all been given the one spirit to drink. And you receive this, and we, we form this new people, this new culture, this new city, this new community. And so whatever culture and race you come from, and Jews hated Greeks, Greeks hated Jews. Slaves were totally inferior, and to free people, and then you had women and men. They had all kinds of separation there. But in Christ, by the Holy Spirit, when you come, you become part of a new culture, a new city, a new family called the body of Christ. And that 
now has a whole new set of ways of relating, new norms, new values of what's important, not important, how you treat people, but you're no longer the same. So whatever nationality you come from, whatever your family of origin is, whatever part of the planet you're from, when you came to Christ, if you haven't, please run to the kingdom, you become part of this new community, this thing called the body of Christ. And it's a new culture, and it's meant to be a city on a hill. And, the, and, and you have an acre of diamonds inside of you. And we've got enormous acres of diamonds in the church here. And we're to draw on these resources to be able to live out this kind of a supernatural, spirit-empowered life. Now, he says there's all kinds of gifts in verse you know, 4, 5, and 6. We mentioned it last week, diverse gifts. and There's incredible diversity. And there's like about 28 to 32 different gifts listed in the Bible. But they're only meant to be a sampling. They're only meant to be a taste. There is enormous variations of types of gifts. I mean, they're endless because we serve a creative God. And so it may be evangelism on a one-on-one, a one-on-ten. It may be intercession mixed with evangelism. There's all these combinations that really could lead into the thousands. And Paul says, so it's, there's an explosive imagination of God that has been released into this body to be this supernatural community. And uh, it's done for the common good. But just like in the gospel, when you become a Christian, there is no reason to boast. When you come to Christ, you come empty. You don't come saying, well, God, I'm a good person. You owe me. Save me. No. We come with nothing, regardless of your background, and you come empty and you come through the cross. You receive free forgiveness of sins and free grace. You receive the righteousness of Christ. You stand before God, not in your own works, but in his work, and you're a free man, a free woman. You're adopted as a son and daughter. It's a free gift. In the same way, spiritual gifts are a free gift. And at verse 7, the day you become a Christian, you receive free spiritual gifts, each one. It's not based on your merit. It's not based on your worthiness. It's simply freely given. You've got to hear this. It's a sign of free grace. You haven't earned it. And so God says, I, 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 I give them everybody. And they're to be given to each other for the common good. So the first thing God says is, is you're amazing. As a, you're, and, and you're indispensable, every single one of you. Now you look in verse 14 and 15. The problem was some people, as it relates to some of you here, felt they were dispensable. Verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not an ant, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the ear should say, oh, I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body either. He says, no, no, you don't understand. Paul says, you know, to say I'm inferior, okay, and some of you feel inferior. In fact, I really hit three of you on the way out at the first service. Paul said, you don't get it. You don't get it. Okay, you've gotten the spirit. You're part of the supernatural new community, and everyone is indispensable. And verse 18 is the controlling verse. In fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted to be, them to be. So, I don't, so you say, oh, no, Pete, you don't understand. I, um, I'm too young. And, you know, I don't know enough, and I don't really feel like I make a big difference. Paul says, no, no, you don't get it. You're indispensable. I say, no, Pete, I'm, I'm HIV positive. I've really messed up my life. No, no, Paul says, you don't understand. You're part of the body of Christ. You're indispensable. You're a treasure. I say, no, no, you don't understand. Pete, I haven't gone to college. You know, I, I'm not educated like those other people. I goofed around. You know, I was getting high in high school. I didn't even finish, you know, and here I am. My gifts really can't. No, Paul says, you don't understand. You're amazing. And nobody can duplicate your piece in the body. Oh, if you don't understand, Pete, I, 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 I don't earn a lot of money. Because in our society, we place value on people based on how much money they earn. Well, see, that's, not the, that's not what this community is about. 
And this community, you're simply amazing because you're made in the image of God and he has placed into you, verse 7, a manifestation of the Spirit. And you're indispensable. This place can't work without you. And so, you know, you know, no, I'm, I'm, English is not my first language. You know what I mean? It's like, Pete, I'm part of it. New Life's, every church is a body or a household of faith. And you say, well, English is not my first language. And you know, I'm not from New York City either. And so, you know, I don't really feel like I can really, you know, I really can't be myself here. Like, no, no, you don't understand. Paul says, you, there's nobody like you here. You're amazing. You, in fact, you're in, the word he uses is indispensable. Uh, how about this one? Uh, uh, I'm, I'm too old. I hear this a lot. I'm too old. Others say, I'm too young. Others say, I doubt too much. And I have doubts because I struggle. I wake up some Tuesday morning. I say, is this Christianity crazy? You know, Frederick Buechner says, if you don't wake up two to three times a week and say, is this all crazy? Your faith is not genuine. Okay? So that doesn't disqualify you either. Paul's point is, if you've come to Christ, you have been given acres of diamonds. You have a deposit. You are precious. You are, the word, I like the word, that's my New York translation. You're amazing. And some of these Corinthians didn't get it. So you may be new to new life. You don't know a lot of Bible or you're new. And, you know, Paul says, no, man, you're amazing. You've got an indispensable place here. When I became a Christian, I felt, I, I was 19. So I, when I would get around Christians who knew the Bible, who were raised in the church from a Christian home or went to a Christian college, I used to feel so inferior. I would like, you know, just close up. And to lead a meeting, I'd be like, you know, I'd be like, oh, you know, let them lead. You know, whether I had a gift of leadership or not, or a gift of teaching, I just felt like, well, they, they've been around longer. You know, they, they know this thing of Christianity. And I would shut up, and it took me 10 years to get through that. Now, I don't know where you are today, but God wants you to hear this, that the day you came to Christ, you didn't earn it. You're not worthy of it. Just like you received salvation as a free gift, Christ died on your behalf. At the cross, you received treasure from God. And you're amazing, and there's nobody like you in the earth. There's nobody like you at New Life Fellowship. And Paul says, thank God. And so, even all your failures, and you may be hidden behind the scenes, you know, and I don't know, what's your reason for not functioning in the body? We all have a lot of them. And Paul says, you don't understand, guys. You've got something nobody else has. So don't, verse 18, don't try to copy somebody else. You see their gift and their combination. Like, Why can't I be like that? And Paul says, no, no, don't ever say that. There's nobody like you. The goal is to be you. You have a unique set of gifts, a unique combination of gifts. You have unique passions. You've got a unique history of life. You're in a unique stage of life. You've got unique talents. There's a combination that you are that nobody else is. Verse 18, God's arranged each part of the body as he wanted to. He's arranged it. So don't try to be this other part. Don't envy them. Don't mimic them. Have the courage and the faith to be you and fight to be that person. And it's, it's only it's pure gift. Now, to not, and the problem with the Corinthians in verses 14 to 20 is there was a, a group of them, and we've got a group here that they weren't bringing their gifts and treasure to the rest. And the reason they were doing it is they felt inferior. And Paul says, it, you don't understand. Uh, yes, it takes time, and, and we've got to fight through it. But it's like if you received $100 million, okay, you win the lottery, and not only do you receive $100 million, the owner of Macy's and J.C. Penney's gives you the stores on Queen Boulevard. Just Daryl, they're yours. Anything in there, it's all yours. You own it. Then if you have some kids, you throw in a Toys R Us. If you like books, you get a Borders and a Barnes & Noble as well, all right? All of that wealth is yours. Imagine if, you, if someone received all that wealth and gave nothing away. 
You'd say, that crumb. You'd say, what is that person's problem? Well, I don't really fit in, you know. I don't really feel good about myself. You'd say, I'm going to strangle you. Give some of that money away. You don't need all that clothing. You don't need all those toys. You don't need all those books. That's what Paul's saying here. You have been given enormous, you've got to hear the word, enormous wealth in terms of manifestation of the Spirit, verse 7, in terms of gifts and the way the combination is uniquely yours to bless and serve somebody else. Nobody else has that uniqueness that you do. And to sit on it, Paul says, is, is a tragedy, is a monstrosity. And friends, you've got to hear this, that, that this, uh, that's why at New Life we are structured into small groups and communities. Because we know there's no other way to walk this out unless we do smaller meetings. And since the beginning, we've been battling with this. And this is not an easy thing to do. It goes, it goes against the culture. Individualism, consumerism. I mean, the American church is about large meetings. And we've got, we're constantly wrestling and struggling. How do we walk this thing out? And, and uh, it is a battle because the enemy knows that if we succeed at this, there's an incredible release of power for the glory. You can't be a city on a hill unless the body's functioning as the body. It's impossible. And so that's what he's thinking of relationships. We're constantly pushing it and moving that direction because there is no other way. But the problem is we carry so much baggage with us and it's hard work. It really is a battle. And you want to say, I'm out of here. I can't stand it anymore. And we all have those, those moments. And, and, and Paul says, you don't understand. The issue is not just your freedom in Christ. This is the only way you can be free in Christ. But the issue is like Jesus died for the weak. You and I are called to give ourselves to the weak. Just like Jesus, we're called to follow his example, to love with what God's given us, and, and to hold on to it all, the $100 million and all the superstores, and do nothing with it is a great tragedy. In fact, Paul says, don't look at the supermodels, don't look at the great athletes, don't look at these wealthy multimillionaires who are in their early 20s and say, I'm a failure and I'm no good. No longer look at people through the world's point of view. But now, because you're in Christ, You've been transported by the Spirit into this new culture, this new community. Now, Galatians 6.14, through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I no longer look at people the same. I look at them completely different because through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, a new age has come. The kingdom of God has come on earth and I'm now a part of that and I taste it. And so now, for those of you who struggle with being inferior, hear this. You're amazing. And we can't live without you. You're indispensable. You may feel like you are, but we can't. And that's why we will always wrestle as a church and struggle. We've got to help each other find our place and bring our gifts and passions to bear. And that's why a church like A New Life is always changing. It's always, it's organically always going through shifts. And we've got to help each other as the body and find some friends to help you make your way. Okay, let's go to number two. The second is related, but it's different. You really need other people. Do you know that? You really need other people. Now, look at verse... I, 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 want, you to, I, I want to pray these verses become the revelation they have for me the last couple of weeks. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. On the, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Some of the Corinthians, they had one group that felt inferior, another group felt... They felt they were so strong in Christ, I don't need them. I can walk this out alone. Just, you know, me and Jesus and one or two close friends. 
The rest of the body, I'm not even sure I like them. I don't need them. I can do it on my own. And uh, Paul says, no, you, you, don't, you don't get it. And some of the Corinthians, maybe, and many scholars believe that some of the Corinthians were highly educated. And some were, had a lot of money. And because of that, they were like, well, you know, I don't really need these poor people over here. I don't need these uneducated. You know, I, I've been there. Or some folks had a lot of background in God, knew the word well, were able to move in the gifts well. And they were like, you know, these folks barely know spiritual gifts. They, you know, who needs them? I, I'm doing fine. In fact, they're hindering me. And Paul says, you don't get it. You cannot walk this thing out without these people. They are indispensable to you. Now, the funny thing is some of us come from codependent backgrounds. You know, we're, we're caretaking the whole world. And now that we've gotten, you know, we've gotten somewhat healthy, now we're counter-dependent. Now, counter-dependent is I depend on nobody. And we're still in reaction. And we can't seem to walk out that balance of individuality and interdependence. And, and um, you know, we look down at uncouth brothers and sisters. And we say, I don't even need you. I, when I first became a Christian, I know I, my attitude was I'd go into meetings and say, now, how many cool people are here like me? You know, and um, I like what Kathleen Norris says. She, she's written a lot of books on spirituality. She says, every Christian body has borderline people. You know, and that God purposely does it that way for us. He places people in the body that embarrass us. Thank you, Denise. People that bother us. We say, what are they doing here? Why, aren't, why don't they have it together? And we basically say, let me just get as far away from these people as I possibly can. And Paul says here, I want you to read, look at this verse, 22. On the contrary, you don't just tolerate these people, he says. These parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. There's the word indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. Now, the word weaker and the word less honorable is the Greek word for like inside parts of your body like kidneys and livers and things you can't see. So the people you can't see who are functioning with their gifts, and like on a Sunday morning, only, only a limited number of us can use our gifts. And that's, but a lot of folks use their gifts all over the place during a week that we can't see. And Paul says, those people you can't see who are functioning with their treasure, he goes, those people, now this goes for members and those of us who are more visible, we've got to go after those people and lift them up. We, these people get special honor. I was telling someone downstairs while making coffee, I said, do you realize when we get to heaven, God is going to say to me, Pete, go to the back. You've had your time in the front. And now the people who are in the back, you come to the front. So you've got all eternity, you know, I'm, I don't have to look forward to here, you know. But he says this, and those are the parts, look at verse 20. Four, while our present, I'm sorry, verse 23, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. That word for unpresentable is the word for sexual organs, all right? So they're trying to figure out a way to translate that. They're saying the parts that are, you know, are sexual organs that we cover and clothe. He goes, those unpresentable parts are treated with special modesty. So the parts that, in a sense, people would kind of be ashamed of, we go and we clothe them, we protect them. We go after them. We don't just tolerate them. We value them. We lift them up. We're not about the big and the beautiful. We're about the unpresentable and the weaker. And then he closes by saying, verse 25, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. And that word for equal concern is the word for anxiety for each other. You know Matthew 6, 25, do not be anxious for anything. That's the word used about equal concern. 
were to be anxious for the brother or sister in the body that we would consider kind of embarrassing. How is she doing? How are you? A letter, a phone call, but there's a certain anxiety because I know and we know we can't go unless everybody's with us. That the body's indispensable. I know they're angry at us. I know we've got to go after them and encourage them. And there's a certain anxiety about being the body because Paul says the church cannot be the city on a hill. This group cannot grow into the maturity God calls to without every member, especially those who appear weaker, especially those who appear dishonorable and unpresentable. We desperately need to figure out a way that they can bring their treasure to bear. Now, that's why for those of you who are members of New Life, you've been at New Life a while, you've got to especially be fighting for those who are newer at New Life. This is not about being in leadership. This is about just, you've been here a while, you're, you're an insider. You know what? People are trying to find your place. And you probably say, well, no one's helped me find my place. Now, I'll get that in a minute, but we've got to take responsibility for our peace. No one can do that for you. That's, that's, we want to help each other. We need each other to be each other, to be each other's calling and place in God. Now, here's, here's the problem. American culture is Horatio Alger novels. Remember, he wrote 120 novels after the Civil War. His basic thing was, I can go it alone. I can do this thing alone. Paul says, you cannot do it alone. You can make a lot of money alone, but you cannot do this Christian life alone. You need a body, and you need the whole body. Now, let me give you an example of this. Let's talk about morality. Now, I've preached a lot of messages on sexual, sexuality and purity. And you know what? I think they were pretty good. All right? But I'm not stupid enough to think that that's enough. Because... God calls us to be promiscuous with our money and stingy with our bodies. Now, how do I walk this out in a culture that's so wild? The culture is the opposite, stingy with money and promiscuous with our bodies. I was with a 17-year-old senior at New Life yesterday, and he was just, we were just talking about how, how difficult it is to be sexually pure. Because God never intended that you could walk out the radical values of the Christian life apart from a body. You need more than teaching. You need friends and a body to live out the radicalness of the values of this counterculture. Do you think you're going to care about the weak and dispensable and the borderline people if you're, not, if you're walking only with Wall Street investors who are looking at the IPOs every day and making a multi-million dollars? Never. Do you think you're going to walk out sexual purity? without some brothers and sisters who are going to help them, 17-year-old Sammy, what an encouragement it's been to have some friends, some other guys, week by week to encourage them in Christ. Let's talk about raising children. God never intended that you could raise your children alone. I believe in the value of the family, of course. But God knows that you need a community of people that your children can interact with along the way to grow up with the values of the kingdom of God. Let's talk about guidance. This is, how did you make your last major decision of your life? I would bet that 95% of you did it without the body. You opened up the Bible. You prayed. You felt, I think this is the best thing to do. I'm going to go. I'm moving to North Dakota. I'm marrying, I'm marrying Susie Q. I am leaving my job and taking a new, whole new career path. I don't want to be histrionic here, but I will say this. I think perhaps the most important 
gift given to us for discerning God's will for our life after Scripture is the counsel of the community. The problem is most of us don't want to hear it. We'd rather just go it alone. I don't need them. I can figure it out. Now, the Quakers and Mennonites do this very well. What they will do, and the healthy ones anyway, if I've got to make a major decision about marriage or job change or whatever, major ministry change, they will gather three to five trusted friends in a room. And these friends will give them the gift of time and their energy for a whole evening and just help them discern what God's doing inside of them and who God, they, who God made them and ask them questions and pray with them and probe, not tell them what to do. Simply help them asking the right questions to discern, is this the right thing for you and where God's doing in your life right now? Because as you know, people can see things you can't see. But the problem is we don't want to hear because we don't like maybe what they're going to say. But many of us are making major decisions in our lives without even thinking about the counsel of the body. Paul says, you don't understand, you really need other people. They're not God for you, but they help you discern God. And they can give you a point of view and a perspective that you're blind to. And we've all got blind spots. I've got blind spots in raising my kids. I need to be around other parents that are raising children. They know, Pete, you're off base here. There's a healthy way to do it. You are dangerous alone. You may be a nostril, okay? Imagine a nostril trying to be the whole shebang. Or maybe you're an elbow, maybe you're a, a ligament, maybe you're a toe, maybe you're a cartilage, maybe you're an ear, maybe you're a big mouth. But do you know something? When you're just trying to do this whole thing on your own, you're dangerous. And you wonder why it's not working real well? Because Paul's saying God made the body dependent. You need Others, the body really is indispensable to you. Now, it's normal to want to throw the body out the window every once in a while. Just like you want to throw your family of origin out the window every once in a while. What Paul's saying is, you need different gifts around you. You need different personalities around you. Some of you are bold. Some of you are very adventurous. Others of you are very analytical and logical. Some of you are left brain, others are right brain. Some of you come from the Eastern Europe, Western Europe, the Mideast, Africa, Latin America, you name it. And the way you do Christianity is different than other people in the room here. Paul says you need to be around those people. You know, some of you come from different streams. Some of you like the more contemplative, quiet, you know, the monastic kind of a, you know, life. Others of you like, you know, wild, protracted worship meetings. Others like a more liturgical bent. Others, more Baptistic bent, you know, whatever. Paul says, you need to drink from different streams. You need to be exposed to different types of people, walking out this gospel differently. I can go on and on, you know. And, and, and you know something? We need different ages. We need the youth to take your place here, all right? We need the youth to bring their treasure. We need the elderly to bring their, bring their, their treasure. We need our children to bring their treasure to the rest of us. And, you know, single moms, you need married couples. And single individuals, you need married couples. And we all need each other to be the body, different age and generations, and as well as cultures and gifts and personalities. But Paul's saying is, for the body to be the body, this mix has got to battle to be together. That's why he says in verse, 20, verse um, 24, God has combined the members of the body. 
Now, every local church is a body. But the only way to walk out this body is in smaller groupings. That's why we fight like crazy to, to move that direction. And it's messy. There's a process. There's a wrestling that goes on in that. This is not a simple one, two, three, bam. But Paul was motivated and driven by a revelation of this city on a hill. I'm motivated by my, for my own family, my own good. All right, let me close with this. Remember that illustration about hitting the wall in a marathon? Remember that? That in, in, in the Christian life, we all hit the wall, and, the mar- and a marathon runner hits it at mile 20. And they've got to push through that wall to develop perseverance and character and develop into great marathon runners. In the same way in the Christian life, you may not be at a wall now, but you will be. You may not be at that major crossroads in your life, but you will be. And Paul says, you had better have some body people around you at the wall. And do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. If you isolate yourself, you and your children will bear that fruit. Maybe not right now, but down the road. There is no way that you can break the revelation and, the, and, the, and the, what's true here on how God has set up the church and the bride of Christ and violate that and not reap what you've sown. It's impossible. You, got, you may not happen for the first few years, but eventually it will come down. That's why to be faithful in the toughest times and to hang in there is so critical because God is not a liar. And as we sow to truth, we eventually reap it. Can I hear an amen on that? All right. Okay. Let me close with two quick applications. All right. Number one, I should have written it down. The first is simply, I'm going to pray for a revelation this morning on you. Herman Melville wrote a book called The White Jacket. And in this book, there's a doctor named Dr. Cuticle. And this doctor is very proud of what a great doctor is. He knows a ton about anatomy and doing operations. And so he wants to show off to these sailors on the boat. And so he makes them his orderlies. And he's going to operate on this guy who's got appendicitis. So he opens the guy up. And as he's opening the guy up, you know, he's, he's, he's showing his sailors, you know, yeah, this is this and this is And he's showing them how much he knows about anatomy. And uh, he thinks that these guys are going to be so impressed. But as the operation goes on, these sailors are horrified because they realize that the doctor has killed his patient. He understood the anatomy, but he killed him. Some of you understand the body, but you're still killing people. You don't see the life of Jesus in the person. All you see, and you analyze them up and down, and you kill them. If you get a revelation of the body of Christ, that Jesus lives in his body. The life of God, when you move towards people, you will no longer slice them up and leave them bleeding on a table. You will love and move towards them. You will do verse 25. You will have equal concern for the other. You will have an anxiety that they would know that they're amazing and that they are indispensable and they would find their place, just like you want to do that for yourself. Friends, my concern is some of us are, we've been around a long time, and for some reason, folks have been around church a long time, and we all carry baggage, we've all been hurt, we've all been betrayed, just like Jesus. You're not better than your master, you will follow his path, just like we all will, and part of growing into being a body person is to experience, I believe, betrayal, and disappointment, and offense. It's part of the way God matures us and grows us into learning to die for people and not using them for ourselves.
but it takes a revelation, friends, of the glory of the body of Christ in the world to enable us to persevere when things are very difficult and not put people to death, but rather help them come to life. And so I need you to be a father, to be a, a man, to be a follower of Jesus, to be a husband. I, 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 I'm not, I'm hopefully not codependent, but it's very healthy. I need every one of the body of Christ here at New Life Fellowship. And I especially need those of you who consider yourselves weaker, though you're really not, and those of you who consider yourself shameful and inferior, Paul says, I especially need you. How do you see people in the body? Honestly. I'm scared because I think many of us write people off all the time. The old age has ended. Jesus is alive. At the cross, friends, at the cross, Jesus defeated the powers of evil. And through the cross, it's like a door. At the cross, you come to faith in Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. The new kingdom of God has emerged in a people that's now been created called the Bride of Christ, the people of God, across race and culture that now are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. This is impossible apart from the Holy Spirit. You can never do this, nor can I, apart from the supernatural work of God. That's why every time we get striving, we kill and we mess it up. But Paul says, uh, belief in me in people. So that's number one. Is, let me just close with this. So the first is just a revelation. And the second I'm going to simply call, I want to talk to you about and close with being responsible. I am responsible to God for the treasure and the diamonds he has placed within me. They're gifts. You are responsible before God for the treasure and the diamonds he's placed within you. And the day will come where you will give an account for them. You've got to hear me on this. Luke 11, verse 48 says, From everyone to whom much is given, much is required. You've been given a lot. And so you want to be responsible to God for the gift you had. I had someone say to me recently, and it was really it was a good word, it says, Pete, you have a debt to God with what he's given you. And I was like, ooh, that's so heavy. So I was talking about self-care. And there is a place to, and, and part, of, part of being a good steward of what God's given you is taking care of yourself. That's part of that responsibility. You are not, many of you run, mar you run sprints. You go crazy serving God for a year to two years, and then you're washed out for ten. No, be a good steward of yourself. I, I read an article in the New York Times about birds. You know birds only spend 15 to 20% of the time working? You know, in terms of nesting their young and getting food and eating and building the nest. You know what they're doing the rest of the time? They're just flying around. They're just 80% of the time, they're just flying around, like having a good time. And I'm like, what a life. But I said, you know, that too is glorifying to God. Some of us are flying around 100% of the time. Others of us are working 100% of the time. And we're angry at everybody, all right? But you're responsible before God to be a good steward. How much time do you need to be flying around to self-care so that as you serve and give of your treasure to other people, it's a joy? It's going to be different for each one of us, but you're responsible and we'll give an account to God for that because he's given you a treasure by grace. And it's all grace. What motivates us, friends, is not guilt. It's the grace of God who's given me sheer, out of his sheer mercy, just great gifts. So I want to invite you to wrestle, and it's a process. It takes time. We need each other to even work this thing out. 
to battle, to say, you know what? Walk out and say, you know what? I'm amazing. You know, I'm amazing. By the grace of God, what, what, I'm, it's amazing I'm a Christian. And it's amazing he's given me all this wealth and manifestation of the Spirit. And gifts. How amazing. But at the same time, you say, you know what? I really need the body. I really need, and I need the whole body. I know there's like four or five you really like, and that's good. I know, that's okay, but you really need everybody. I even need that guy way over there. All right? And they're indispensable too. And you know, my attitude has stunk. God touched me and set me free. I'm, I'm, I'm analyzing people and killing them and not breathing life into them like you. Let's all stand. Please bow with me for a moment as a worship team comes forward. I just ask right now, in fact, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, I want to invite you to receive the best, the greatest gift in the world, and that's a relationship with a personal God through Jesus. Receive forgiveness, receive adoption as a son or a daughter. Let a miracle take place in your heart. And if God's tugging at you today and you're not yet a believer, invite Jesus into your life to forgive you and cleanse you and set you free. And you walk through the cross and come out a new person, a new creation, a part of a new family. It's all a gift. And receive your acre of diamonds to become the man and woman that God's called you to be. If that's you today, just right now, just say yes to the Lord. Yes, God. Yes, Lord. At the end of the service, you come forward. We've got some literature for you. discouraged ones, isolated ones, hurt ones, for whatever reasons. It's right now saying, oh God, Holy Spirit, let this truth become a revelation to me now. God, set me free from my cynicism. God, I can't even imagine this, Lord. I just see so, so this body thing, this new, this new counterculture, this new city on a hill, this new body, Lord, I'm a part of. If you struggle with that today, say, oh God. Say, Lord, I need to see Jesus. Because if you see Jesus clearly, you just can't help but move towards that body. Because it is the body of Jesus Christ. It's a mystery, but it really is the body of Christ. Say, Lord, open up my eyes. Set me free, Lord. And if you struggle with criticism and a critical spirit and looking down at people, just ask the Lord to forgive you, set you free. Lord, we take authority in the name of Jesus, a very critical spirit, Lord, in Jesus' name. Set your people free, God, to love and move towards the weaker, to battle through the process of finding their place, Lord, to lift the weaker up, Lord, the unpresentable up, to set people on rocks, Lord, to be like you, Jesus, and to die for the weaker. So others can live. Thank you, Lord.